I want to talk about the journey towards buying your first house. So it starts off by paying your debt and then building your savings. Now, the reason we want to have savings, especially six to 12 months worth, if not longer, is because it's really easy to fall off the bandwagon when it comes to getting your finances under control. So think of it like when you go to the gym consistently, like five days a week, we need one cheat day when it comes to like our diet, because it can be so challenging throughout the week that we could end up just completely giving up and then just eating McDonald's for a whole week. So by giving ourselves like that little break or that little buffer, it ensures that we can do this consistently for an extended period of time. So what I tend to see people do is they will um, build their savings and then jump straight into buying a house, uh, typically with no kind of long-term plan. They're kind of just thinking, I just want to buy the house, but not really thinking about everything else that kind of goes towards buying the house. And there are better ways to do it that will actually cover you in terms of what if the uh, housing market prices go up dramatically and it's not a good time to buy or they go down, whatever, whichever case. And in either of those cases, you can still be making money. So I'll show you guys how that works. Now, before I get on with the episode, a reminder that I have a Patreon page, uh, Patreon page where you can read articles, download spreadsheets, you can get internet resources, tutorial videos, and even chat with me if you have any ideas. Uh, it's free to join, so sign up today. The link is patreon.com forward slash jellyman underscore investing. Lastly, a disclaimer that I'm not a financial advisor. Please consult with a professional before making any financial decisions on with the episode. Here's the way I found uh, to work towards a house that I think is a lot better than simply build your savings, buy a house, right? So number one, and we kind of talked about about this previously, is you want to set up all your automation for your accounts so that all the money that you need is split into those accounts and money is automatically going to your savings. If that happens over an extended period of time, you go to step number two, which is you'll eventually get to six to 12 months of emergency savings, meaning if you lost your job today, you're good for six to 12 months. Once you start having additional funds, like you've reached that target, and now it's like, okay, now I'm getting some extra cash, um, start investing in stocks, specifically um, index funds. So total market index funds, and we'll kind of explain a little bit about that. If you want to learn a lot more about index funds, I have a lot of articles on my Patreon, uh, an entire section just on uh, index funds uh, investing. Then once you start having some of those funds, you want to meet with a broker because when you get to the broker phase, what you realize is your automation shows really good history that you're consistent. This looks good for the banks. You have emergency savings, which shows the bank that you're able to save. And then you're investing, which shows the banks that you're thinking long-term. And all these things work really, really well with a broker that will help you you know, assess your financial situation and then help you with the whole process of borrowing. It just makes that process so much easier. Okay. Then you want to take that information of borrowing and then adjust and and do some kind of basic calculations based on changing interest rates because we don't want to be suddenly in financial stress right after we buy a house, right? So, and this is still before you buy a house. Then you want to build a buffer for post-home purchase. What this means is, say you buy the house and you move in, you don't want to be at $0 after you move in because what happens if something happens right after you move in? you're in financial stress right away. So you want to have a little bit of buffer after you move in should something go wrong. Once you've reached all those kind of things, then proceed to buy a house. And we'll go into some of the detail now. So we've talked 
previously on you know automating your account. So I'm not going to talk too much about that. But I do want to talk about the six to 12 months of emergency savings. This is absolutely crucial because what happens is when we're working towards a financial goal, it's very easy to get derailed. You know, an unexpected expense comes up and you're like, oh, damn, I got to transfer it from my savings account and now I got to handle it. And then before you know it, you've completely given up and you've just kind of fallen off the bandwagon. So having that emergency savings for like worst case scenarios is essential. So, and I'll give you an example. So I've had situations where suddenly a big fine comes in for whatever, like a parking ticket or something like that, or something even like worth, I can't really think of anything top of my head, but say you had a $500 bill come in, instead of kind of getting all fixated and obsessed with it and go, oh, I can't believe this happened. The emergency fund is there so that you go, no worries, I got the fund, pay it, move forward. That's it. So it's like a mental support so you keep going, all right? What I also see a lot of people do is instead of having the money for your savings go directly into an account that you can see every day, they will open a new bank account at a different bank and transfer the money there and it has no associated card, so they're not tempted to spend it. One of the benefits of having some savings on the side as well is, if say nothing is going wrong, it actually alleviates your stress knowing that if something goes wrong, you've got money to cover it. So you're not your stress actually day to day will go down because you know next month's rent is covered, next month's um, bills or whatever, they're all covered. So you spend less time thinking about and worrying about those things and you go, well, now I want to focus on something positive. Let's learn about investing. Let's learn about real estate. Now let's add time to the equation. So when you automate all these accounts, it just happens in the background. And after, and this is the thing I love about finance is you don't have to constantly be studying. You just have to learn these fundamentals uh, set them up and then forget it and then just live your life, right? And if you set it up correctly, you know, before you know it, you'll check your bank account in like six months or a year and you're like, wow, I've got like 30 grand in here. Where'd this come from? You know, and that's kind of the secret. If you're constantly having to use your brain to build these savings and manage your finance, it's, it's exhausting. So we don't want to do that. Now, once you've kind of built your savings, now we want to think about investing before buying property, and here's why. One of the main reasons people buy properties is because they want to have equity. What is equity, right? So, and when it comes to buying assets and all that, the whole idea of any form of investing is we want to put money in so that we can take a certain amount of money out after a certain period of time, and we want to have some confidence to whatever that event is. So take out the word real estate for a second. If I invest in anything and I put Say ten thousand dollars in, and five years time it comes out to being twenty thousand. So that's a hundred percent increase. If I put that in stocks versus I put it in real estate, and just hypothetically, they both come out the same in terms of earnings, right? In terms of growth, but the risk is higher in a house. The buy-in is higher in a house compared to that of it of a investment or of a stock. Then which one would you buy? Well, the truth is you need so much money to get into real estate that by the time you get into real estate, your money would have just been sitting there for a substantial period of time. So one of the things you can do is invest in a low-cost, low-risk total market index fund. Again, if you want to learn more about this, check out check it out on my Patreon. There's a whole section on it. And the idea is, say it takes you, well, I know in Melbourne, Australia, it takes like 11 years right now to save up for a house, which is ridiculous, 16 years in New South Wales. It's a really long period of time 
compared to back in the 80s. So what you want to do is if, say, it's going to take you seven years, right, or five years, whatever it might be, instead of your savings just sitting there, you can divert some of them to index funds, and that index funds will grow. And I'll give you, like, an example. I did this very thing when I was saving up for my house, and instead of my money just sitting there, I ended up making an additional 15 grand just from the stocks that I can use towards buying my house. So not only am I working to make more money, but my money is working to make more money so that I can buy my house. Now, luckily for me, because I set up my accounts the way I did uh, that I've mentioned, I had money going towards buying stock. I had money going towards my saving and I had money going towards uh, saving up for a house. And I had just had them splitting for a number of years and they just did their thing, right? I didn't go on any crazy holidays or anything like that. And what happened was when I finally spoke to a broker, the broker said, actually, you have just enough in your savings to buy a property, to put a deposit down, which means you don't have to sell your stock. So it's a very win-win situation that I can always liquidate my stocks if I need them, but I can also get into real estate as well. So it's very much a win-win situation because say the markets change or they shift or something like that, and you have all your money in stocks and you're like, well, now is not the time to buy. It may be another two years or three years. In that time, your money is at least still growing. So it's an intermediary step before jumping into buying a house. Because one thing you'll learn about buying real estate, especially if it's owner-occupied, you know, you're going to live in it. Just because realestate.com says your property has gone up in value by 10% doesn't mean you're actually richer by 10%. All it means is on paper and net worth-wise, you're more uh, you have more money in terms of net worth, but it doesn't mean you can go on more holidays. It doesn't mean you can buy more expen- uh, expensive car. It just means on paper, you're worth more. That's why the whole concept of kind of net worth, it doesn't really hold any value because, you know, as the saying goes, equity rich, cash poor. A lot of people are retiring, you know, and saying, oh, well, my house, I bought it for 100000 back in 1970. It's now worth $1.5 million. Yeah, it's like, great, but you're depending on the pension. Your super isn't that big. And that's because that's how much your house is worth. That's not how much money you have sitting in a bank. right? So you have to understand the difference in those two kind of concepts. Anytime you meet someone who's like, well, my house is worth this much, eh, just time to go away. <laughs> because if we're talking about financial wealth and financial security and power and understanding finances, it's not about how much you're worth. It's about how much capital you have available to you to actually make decisions with, whether that be if the stock market crashes and you know how to invest. If interest rates drop to historic lows, you know how to get into the into the market. It's about if you lose your job, you have multiple income streams to protect you. If that's the kind of stuff you want to work towards, it's not going to happen overnight. It's probably not even going to happen in a year. Definitely, probably not in a year. It takes many years to kind of learn this kind of stuff. But the thing is with finances and opportunities, especially in the financial markets, is it's not like COVID was a one-time thing. It's not like the GFC was a one-time thing. Historically, I think it's like every eight years, something huge happens, what they call black swan events. And there are huge moments like this where investors can jump in where the prices are really good, interest rates are really good, but what it depends on is being patient and having the capital available to buy in when those moments come. What too many people um, have, like the situation many people have, is they just don't have that excess capital, so they just have to watch these opportunities go by. You know, so you want to be in the winners circle. You know, you want to be 
able to capitalize on these situations.